The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. Welcome to Privacy Piracy. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's a local attorney and certified information privacy professional. She's the author of several books, including Safeguard Your Identity, From Victim to Victor, and The Complete Idiot's Guide to Recovering from Identity Theft. She's testified many times in Congress and the California Legislature on privacy and identity theft issues. And you may have seen her on Dateline, 48 Hours, CNN, NBC, ABC, O'Reilly Factor, and many other shows, including her own 90-minute PBS television special, Protecting Yourself in the Information Age. To learn more about this radio show and our great guests, please visit KUCI.org slash privacypiracy. Hey, Mari, what's our show about today? Well, Lloyd, today our show is about frozen embryos. And, you know, we talk so much about the genetic engineering and what's been going on with in vitro fertilization and all these things that are just this brave new world, you know, even where you can choose the color of your baby's eyes or whatever. And then, but this is a another thing that we really haven't talked about which is really the frozen embryos and how they can become beautiful children. And I just have been reading this book by Nate Burt. It's called Frozen But Not Forgotten, An Adoptive Dad's Step-by-Step Guide to Embryo Adoption. And this book is so, the cover is just melts your heart with this adorable picture of their baby that came from, you know, an embryo adoption. And so we're going to talk to our wonderful guest, Nate, who is coming to us from Missouri this morning. And let me tell you a little bit about him. Nate, Nate Burt is a veteran journalist whose portfolio includes work for AOLpatch.com, the Boonville, Missouri Daily News, the Boulder, Colorado Daily Camera, the Columbia, Missouri uh, the Columbian Missourian, the Columbian Missouri Tribune, and so many more. And so he's been writing for many, many years. He's a very good journalist and a wonderful writer. And this is his first book, Frozen But Not Forgotten. And it's really an encouraging step-by-step guide to embryo adoption for parents. And you can even learn more about this after, you know, you can pick up the book, obviously, but you can also go to his blog on embryo adoption and parenting at natebert.com. And that Bert is spelled B-I-R-T, natebert.com. Also, you can find out more about him at our website at privacypiracy.org, where you'll see a picture of that book, the JPEG, and a picture of Nate, and we link to his website. So you can just go right to ours and see that. And also, after this airs, it will be archived there, so you can listen again, especially if you're considering adoption. Now, we know that there have been so, I don't know why the there's been so many problems with fertilization. I know for me, I, w- I had, I was fertile myrtle, had both of my kids without a problem. I just, but I know that a lot of young people are having problems and this is a, a beautiful alternative that they could think of. So, 
welcome. Great to have you, Nate. Thanks so much, Mari. Great to be with you and looking forward to our conversation today. Yeah, and it's so nice that we had a chance to talk the other day. So, you know, we've already, I've had the the wonderful opportunity to hear some of the thoughts that you have about this. So let's talk about, um, you know, why is it that you decided to write this book? Yeah, Mari. So I decided to write this book because I recognize that if my, my wife and I, my wife Julie, had gone through this process and had lots of questions and had to sort of dig our way to finding the answers just like any good journalist or reporter uh, or curious person, frankly, does. You know, I figured some other parents might also have some of the same questions. And so this book is really the book I wish we had had as we were walking through the process. And so, you know, some people probably aren't aware that there are over a million frozen embryos in storage today in the United States alone. That's not to speak of any frozen embryos that are in other places across the world where, you know, couples are going through challenges with infertility. And as you mentioned, you know, it's becoming more prevalent as, uh, especially in the United States, couples wait until later in life to get married. They're waiting later in life to bring children into the world. And unfortunately, at least uh, today, there's not a lot that we can do about uh, our biological clock, right? And so there's a window of opportunity in which couples can naturally conceive and as they wait until older uh, ages, oftentimes they run into challenges um, conceiving naturally. And so in vitro fertilization is an option that couples consider. And it's one of the things that my wife and I, like you, Marie, never considered because we always um, were able to conceive naturally. But uh, as we, were, uh, as we had, had our children, uh, we had three biological sons. And several years ago, I said to my wife, what if we had one more? And she said, okay, but we're going to look at embryo adoption. And we had known couples and families who had been through that process. I always thought it was a little sci-fi, a little out there and strange. And while we had talked about adoption, I had maybe that, what I don't know, I don't want to stereotype all men, but I think in my case, I had some issues of pride and of not knowing if I could love an adopted child as much as I would a biological one. I've come around full circle and recognized that um, adoption is a wonderful option for families. Uh, something that's important. Um, it certainly is a, a great blessing to me and my family, but I, I hope for our daughter as she grows up as well. But that was really sort of the origin story of why we wrote the book and why it was so important to, to put that message out there. Yeah, and I think you're kind of unique because most people who do in vitro fertilization, either with an adopted um, embryo or they're, you know, or trying their own or whatever they're doing or surrogates, um, it, it you know, they usually can't conceive. So yours is really an interesting approach that you already had your three boys. And then luckily you had a baby girl, but you didn't know if it was going to be a girl or not, right? That's right. So I mean, <laughs> there are, like you were saying, Maury, you know, there's a lot of conversation today about genetic engineering and selecting, you know, the eye color of your child or things of that nature. And so in my family's case, you know, we've uh, made a very specific point that, we were looking for a couple that perhaps shared our, our value system and, um, you know, like to do some of the same things that we like to do. But in terms of our child, you know, all that we knew was that we were adopting three embryos that had been frozen about a decade earlier uh, by a couple that had conceived uh, a set of twins through in vitro fertilization. And they got to the end of that process and had remaining embryos. They believe that those embryos represent, you know, young life at its earliest stage. 
and that they believed strongly enough in that that they wanted to place those for adoption to give another family the opportunity to bring children into the world with those remaining embryos. We knew we had three frozen embryos. Uh, we were committing to transferring all of them at some point in time, and it turned out that um, two of them were unfortunately uh, not viable. Sometimes when you saw frozen embryos, not all of them survive, and so that was that was a very sad part, especially um, for my wife, uh, you know, as the, as the woman who is keeping those children to term. But we're thankful that one of them survived, and that that one embryo uh, is our daughter Phoebe. Yeah. So, how often do these survive? Do you happen to know? I mean, it's kind of a technical question, but I just wonder when you when you do have these frozen embryos, I wonder what the percentages that are able to be viable. You know, that's a really good question, Laurie. I don't know all of the statistics. I'm trying to remember back in the book. I want to say there was some statistic I had heard from the director of our adoption agency that in the case where a couple has, you know, between two or three embryos transferred, there's a 75% chance, I think, that one of them will be viable and and come to term. Don't quote me on that. But if I recall correctly, the science has advanced so quickly that there actually is a a high probability um, that if the embryos have been frozen properly and, and taken care of, um, there's a high probability that that will actually result in success. Now, obviously, there are other factors that can happen along the way, complications with the pregnancy or something like that. But in general, the odds of, of being able to bring a baby to term and actually bringing, you know, keeping those embryos such that they're able to be uh, to be born later on is, is relatively high. Right. So when people uh, have extra uh, embryos that they, you know, after they were able to conceive, like you said, the couple had twins. Um, so what are their choices usually? So that's a really important question, Mari, and it's something that I, I hope more families sort of take into consideration because it can create, you know, really not an existential crisis, but certainly it gives parents real pause later on. Right. And so the, the choices they really have are, you know, number one, uh, couples, sometimes choose to donate those embryos to research and to science um, for advancing, you know, understanding of medical diseases for adults and things of that nature. Um, the second option is to, to discard, to throw away those embryos. Um, the third option is to sort of pay a monthly fee to keep those embryos in frozen storage. A lot of times couples get to the end of the process and realize, you know, we didn't think about the fact that there would be remaining embryos as a result, oftentimes, you know, doctors and whoever's in the laboratory will produce more embryos than a mother can feasibly carry for biological reasons. And so there are those remaining embryos. And so they can put those in, in storage and sort of give themselves time to think about what are my options here because it can be an uncomfortable place to be. And then the fourth option is what the family that are our, our placing family, as we call them, our daughter's genetic family to place those embryos for adoption. And I want to be clear, they didn't make that decision right away. They, they went through with that third option I mentioned, which is um, putting them in frozen storage, recognizing these are human lives, but then struggling with, you know, I, I, I can recall our, our daughter's genetic um, mom uh, from our placing family saying that she would pick up the phone to call the adoption agency multiple times and would just break down in tears because of, of the decision that she was making. And so I think just helping families understand those are the four options that I'm aware of today that families have. But eventually she got to the point where she was able to make that call because she recognized 
you know, we can give these, these embryos a chance at life and also an opportunity to give um, new life and new meaning and new purpose to these, these babies, but also to the family that will adopt them. Right, right. It is a challenging uh, emotional and moral issue, really, for people. I don't know exactly even what, what I would want to do at that point. But, you know, it's interesting because when people put, uh, you know, their their embryos in storage and then they get divorced, it becomes an issue. One parent may say, I, I want those destroyed. And another one will say, no, I want them. And then, of course, the parent who wants them is really entitled to ask for child support. So, I mean, it becomes... It's very complicated. Yeah, it becomes so complicated. I mean, with the technology that we've got, it becomes very, very challenging for people as to what kind of decisions am I making now and am I making in the future and what kind of moral decisions and it it is really like we were saying a, a total brave new world so let's talk a little bit about the challenges though of going through inverto in in vitro fertilization i know there are people that get so disappointed they they take all these shots and they do all these things what was it like for your wife that's a really good question mari so like i mentioned earlier i want to be clear for families out there that are going through infertility like i've not had i've not walked down that road so i don't want to claim to know what it's like and i'm also a man right so i can't speak on behalf of women but what i can tell you is that it was definitely uh, an, experience, an experience for my wife. You know, she was taking um, hormone shots and things like that to prepare her body to carry a child naturally. I know. I think the question probably crossed her mind more than once. Well, I'm able to uh, bring a child into the world naturally, so do I really have to go through all of this? But as you can understand, the uh, fertility doctors are helping sort of coach you through the process. And so I had initially said, oh, I'll be the one to help give you those shots. And then Kim, the first time to try it, I was, I was out. <laughs> I was not... I did not have the fortitude to do it, and my wife, bless her, uh, did. So, you know, I just want to – I think the, the process in some respects would be similar to going through IVF, although, you know, there wasn't any harvesting of, of eggs or things like that that I know right. would be very painful and, and um, you know, uh, challenging for women who are going through that process. So, you know, there was the process of, of the hormone treatments, going to the fertility doctor, um, actually going to the doctor to transfer the, the, the surviving embryo into my wife's womb, and then the process of waiting and seeing whether the embryo had, um, you know, latched on and, and was growing uh, successfully as they would expect it to. So that was, um, you know, that's the part that where I really um, remember most is just like waiting and, and um, getting that pregnancy test back. But in fact, um, you know, the embryo was viable and, and had successfully, um, was successfully growing, which was so, you know, exciting and exhilarating. Um, and I think, I mean, for any couple who's, who's had a baby or thought about having a baby, I mean, there's all that anticipation and planning. Um, so that's sort of the process that they went through. And I know that for couples who've been through IVF, you know, it can be uh, expensive. It, there is the risk that the embryos are not going to be viable. There's the risk that you'll have to go and um, harvest more eggs uh, later on in the second cycle. And so, you know, for couples who are struggling with infertility, I think at least being aware that embryo adoption is an option assuming the mother's body is able to carry a baby to term, right. um, it's an option to at least consider because it's something that, again, lots of people don't know about. And, and to your point, Mari, uh, as we improve our technology, these sort of moral, ethical questions are going to become more prevalent. 
And so being aware of it, at the very least, is something that I think is healthy for families to be thinking about. Yeah, especially because now it's it's difficult to go through an adoption of a baby, right? That's it, right. It's That's so right. difficult, and it's also very expensive. And then, you know, people were able to go and get babies from Russia and other places. And of course, now it's difficult, and especially with COVID-19, you know, I mean, all these, I know people who have adopted from overseas, and it's it's really difficult very challenging, you know, unless you're Angelina Jolie or someone. But, you know, I mean, it's, it is very tough. And, yes. you know, people want to give the babies a, a good life. But one of the beauties is that when you have the embryo adoption, in your case, for example, you got to meet the, the donors. So let's talk about the difference between adopting a baby and adopting an embryo, which it kind of leads into that. Sure. So that's a really good point, Mari, and you're right. There are so many headwinds for families who want to adopt, um, especially domestic adoption or international adoption, which is really unfortunate because there are so many children that are looking for good homes, um, and there's a whole infrastructure built to try to help them, but through, you know, for uh, reasons of economics and politics and, you know, unexpected things like COVID, it's, it's a real challenge. And so, I guess I would articulate that the differences between embryo adoption versus a, a more traditional adoption um, would be that, you know, first of all, from a from a paperwork standpoint, the process of going through an embryo adoption is very similar to a domestic adoption, I would imagine. Um, you know, embryos are by law um, in most places considered property. And so the legal paperwork is, is relatively little. Um, although there is, you know, we wanted to make sure that our daughter recognized that this was not sort of a fly-by-night operation, right? We wanted her to know that we really tried to find a family that would be open and able to um, let her know more about her genetic history, uh, more about who her, what her genetic family is like, and that their story, and have a relationship with them to the degree that her and her placing family choose to have. But we know that so many, um, you know, adopted uh, people as they're growing up have those questions about where did I come from and what don't I know about my past. And so we wanted to try to be, provide as healthy an environment as possible to be able to ask those questions and get those answers. Um, and I think that's, you know, open adoption is something that's becoming more common. Um, and so we felt that that was important. And you can have an open adoption with a domestic adoption and, and perhaps even with international, although I'm, I'm certainly a, not an expert there. I would say the other piece is that from a, a cost or an economic standpoint, um, embryo adoption tends to be more affordable than a domestic adoption or an international adoption with caveats. So uh, an, an embryo adoption, there is the cost of the legal paperwork and the embryo transfer and you know medical treatments with the fertility clinic that I mentioned earlier. There's the cost to transfer the embryo from um, the placing family's clinic to the clinic where your, wife, your spouse will be actually getting the embryo transferred into their womb. And with a domestic adoption, there are going to be other other costs, um, international adoption, certainly travel and so on. So with our embryo adoption, I think the cost ended up being about $20,000. So um, it's not in, inconsequential, right? For a lot of families, it probably would still be cost prohibitive. Um, there are grants and adoption organizations that can provide some, you know, offsetting of those costs. And there are there is also the risk with an embryo adoption if the, the spouse, the um, mom's body is not able to carry it to term or, or complications arise, you may not have a baby at the end of that process. And mm. if you're 
you know, motivated, you might go through that again. You might choose not to. And so right. with a domestic or international, there is a, a baby that's already been born. And so perhaps there's some risk that's mitigated there. But again, there's, there are, as with anything in life, there are trade-offs. So those are some of the things that I would, I would call out for parents who are considering different types of adoption. Yeah. Well, the other thing about adoption is, you know, once a baby is born and it takes so long sometimes, unless you have, like, um, my, my husband's parents, uh, adopted two children and they got them, you know, through their church. Basically mm-hmm. somebody had gotten pregnant. This was years ago. And and so she carried to term, uh, the first one carried to term and so right away they got the baby. Like they had worked it out wow. before the baby was born. And the same thing with the second one. It was through their church that which was mm-hmm. really a wonderful way to do it. And I think they did the legal paperwork, but basically as soon as the baby was born they got. But sometimes what happens is the baby's born and then you can't get them for a year or two. So right. then you haven't even bonded with them from the early get-go, you know? So that's another beauty of having the embryo adoption is that you get to, you know, have the whole nine months of preparing and then you kind of bond in that way when you feel the kick and you feel your wife just tummy and her, the baby's kicking <laughs> and all that stuff. So, I mean, that to me seems like another uh, real advantage of this is that you don't have to wait and you know, maybe get the baby when the baby already has, you know, had influences that were not as healthy as you would want them to have, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right, Mar. You raise a really important point, which is this this idea of bonding and going through the process of being pregnant, which is what, you know, certainly as a, as a couple that was fertile, we, we love that experience with all of our children. And for couples that are experiencing infertility, I can imagine that they would desire it probably even more than I would have. And so being able to go through that process, I can remember being in the delivery room and, and meeting our daughter for the first time. And it was the first C-section that my wife had to go through because she was a breech baby. So she was upside down from where she oh, should have been. Oh, yeah. And so it sort of speaks to her character, right? She's, uh, <laughs> she's uh, definitely has a little fast, which we like a lot. Right. But uh, I can remember seeing her on the table as she was being cleaned up by the nurses. and They were taking oh. her vitals and just saying, wow, what a, I mean, what an amazing thing, number one. But number two, like, I want to... This is not my genetic, like we have no physical, biological relationship, and yet we love this baby. We spent so much time planning for you, and you're finally here. I remember the nurse telling me, it's okay, you can touch her, yeah. <laughs> which I did. And so it was just a, a really special moment, but just um, the sort of this culmination of this process and this journey. And um, yeah, it's really that bonding piece is so special and something that I think is really irreplaceable. Right, right. What are what are some common myths about embryo adoption and the truth about so, them? Yeah, yeah, that's a great question, Mari. So I think you know some of the misconceptions are, are things like, well, this is this is the same, or is this the same as um, surrogacy? And it's and it's not. You know, this is uh, a baby that you know before you ever transfer the embryos or anything like that, you have to sign legal paperwork. This is going to be your baby, and you're committing to treating the embryos in this way. Um, You're committed to transferring them and so on. And I'm sure different agencies and clinics do things a bit differently, but that's that's the process that we went through. Um, I think another misconception, you know, would just be that um, something we talked about in our last conversation was, can the parents take the baby back, right, if they change their mind? And that's something that I'm unaware of in any legal precedent that that's ever happened. Um, I think, you know, what families need to realize thinking about embryo adoption is that 
when a family gets to the process of placing embryos for adoption, just as our placing family did, they have had to go through that emotional struggle of trying to figure out what do I do now? And so at that point, they really have um, thought it through in their mind that they thought it through. That's right. And so I think that's something that families need to recognize. I guess there's always a risk at some point that sometime maybe that will happen. I I think in the last year with COVID, we've all realized there are a lot of things that we never expected to happen that that have. Right. Um, But in general, I think that's a very low risk thing that people don't need to worry about. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what do you think is going to be the future demand for assisted reproductive technology? Well, that's a good question, Mari. I mean, honestly, I think the demand is going to grow, and I think it's going to become less expensive. So I don't see the issue of embryo adoption going away. I mean, one of the other misconceptions is that um, for people on the other side who say, well, IVF is morally, I have a moral objection to IVF. And by engaging in embryo adoption, you're sort of promoting people to use IVF more and create more embryos. That's just patently not true. Um, you know, there are, there are very clear reasons that families either choose to go through IVF or not. I do think the technology will become more accessible for families that maybe don't have the economic means to spend tens of thousands of dollars but want to. My hope is that by talking about embryo adoption, we recognize you don't necessarily have to go through the IVF process and, and create more embryos. You can actually take advantage of embryos that have already been made for families that are struggling to figure out what to do with them. You, there, are, there are opportunities to, to bring new life and a great blessing into your own family by thinking about other families who've been through this journey and by being able to identify some of those remaining embryos that you might be able to bring into your own family and give those children a home and and opportunities that they wouldn't have had otherwise. Right. You know, one of the things that I really enjoyed about your book, Nate, is, and I'm going to just say it again, the name of this book, we're talking with Nate Burt, and his last name is spelled B-I-R-T, so you can go to natebert.com. But, um, and the name of the book is Frozen But Not Forgotten, An Adoptive Dad's Step-by-Step Guide to Embryo Adoption. What I really liked ab- about your book um, is that at the end of each chapter, you have questions to discuss with your mate. Uh, about yes. whether you're going to do this and, and how, what it means. Because I think people get all excited. Well, let's try this. And they haven't, <laughs> you know, they haven't thought it through. They thought, oh, they, or they're desperate. They want a baby so sure. badly. And they think this is going to be the answer. It's less expensive. It's less time consuming, whatever. But they haven't really thought through all of the nuances and everything. So I think at the end of each chapter where you have these questions for discussion, um, you know, it, it means it, it may change. It's going to change your life, you know, and there's a lot of things to think about. Do you want to have it open? Do you want to be able to have the other parents, uh, the, the real biological donors know the child or whatever? So I think those are such great questions that as I was reading them, I thought, I wonder how many people even go through this. And so it's easy to read. It's it's not a doctor writing it. It's not a scientist <laughs> writing it. It's somebody who's really been through the process. And so I really love that about it. So who, who you know, what do you want people to get out of this the most? And then it's going to be time to go. You bet, Mari. That's a great question. I mean, I think at the end of the day, I want people to just be aware that, you know, infertility is a real challenge for so many families, number one. Uh, So to be empathetic for those families and to find ways you can help. It may not be adopting, but it might be. Um, 
Secondly, just being aware of embryo adoption in the process. And third, like you said, just asking the right questions and being aware that our society is, is moving so rapidly. Um, we need to be asking critical questions, even if you never consider adoption, about when, what is life, how do we protect and respect life, and how do we make sure that for families that are looking to build their families and to, to bring children into the world, how do we let them know about this option that many people haven't previously considered, but that will be part of families going forward into the next uh, you know, generation? Well, that is a perfect way to end, Nate. I just love it. And I, I love this book. It's It just really opened my eyes because I, you know, I never thought about these things. But, you know, my kids are getting older and they haven't had kids yet. So this is something that, you know, may be an issue for them as well. So thank you so much. Keep up the great work and, and hope we'll stay in touch. And uh, this is a darling baby, so God bless your family, too. Okay. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure visiting with you and your audience. Okay. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the web. I'm Mari Frank. Join us every Monday morning at 8 a.m. and visit our website at privacypiracy.org. Thanks. The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.